Welcome to Strengthen the Numbers. My name is Mitan Patel, analyst, accountant, and aspiring finance leader. And it is my ambition to bring the leaders in business and finance to the table, stilling their careers, experiences, and insights into actions that you can take to your clients, customers, and communities to become their value creator and ultimate trusted advisor. And with that, let's move on to the show. Welcome everyone. I'm going to keep this fairly short and brief. I was very fortunate to be approached by Jonathan Evans, who is a global talent scout at AstraZeneca. Now, you know, the perception, um, much like finance professionals with, with, with recruitment and HR professionals is, they're very process driven, uh, they like to tick a box, uh, they don't necessarily know the area or the people that you work with necessarily very well, they know a process, but not the context what that process is doing but Jonathan is extremely and incredibly different he is immeasurably knowledgeable immeasurably insightful and has an immeasurable amount of experience and he shares all of these um, in the discussion in the podcast and I found it fascinating from end to end and in fact because of that um, I did very little editing I wanted to capture the the sense of, of the or the thrust of the uh, the discussion, the chat we had uh, in the podcast. So look, I think there's an incredible amount that everyone can take. There were some things that really surprised me and challenged my perceptions, uh, both as of recruitment professionals and indeed of how to plan a career in finance. Uh, something that's particularly important to me as someone who is just starting um, in, in the finance world. So look, sit back, relax, grab a coffee if that's your thing, and. Um, Without further ado, let's get straight onto the podcast. John, welcome to the Strength in Numbers show. Thanks, Miss Ham. Pleasure to be here. Hello, John, I'm really, really excited to have you on. And I think for all it's be great to just start off with giving a bit, bit about yourself, your background and uh, what you do. Brilliant. Oh, well, thank you for, for having me on, first of all. Um, so, yeah, brief, briefly... Um, yeah, I suppose about me and what I do. Uh, I'm currently uh, a global talent scout at AstraZeneca. Um, so I look after uh, our senior and executive recruitments uh, across finance uh, and across our global business services. Uh, and we are very much uh, a large international company. So that means uh, recruiting not just in the, uh, the UK, uh, but across Europe, uh, North America, uh, Asia Pacific, and, and Latin America as well. Um, so I've been at AstraZeneca for just coming up to a year in, in a couple of weeks' time. Um, and before that, I've had quite a, a varied background uh, in uh, executive recruitment, um, but it's all been uh, within finance in, in one way, shape, or form. So I uh, started off my career uh, working in a, in a small recruitment company, um, working with a range of, uh, of organizations, uh, quite a lot in, uh, in financial services, uh, particularly financial advice. Uh, then moved to a boutique headhunting firm called Hanover Search, uh, which was very focused on uh, insurance and asset management. So uh, I did my fair share of actuarial headhunting. Um, and uh, yeah, uh, as accountants know, uh, actuaries are an even more extreme version uh, that <laughs> of well. So that was uh, a training grounds uh, and everything is slightly less extreme after that. <laughs> 
um, and then I moved to a group called um, called Pontoon, uh, who were the uh, I suppose business outsourcing arm uh, of the Adeco Group. So I worked with uh, a range of, uh, of mostly FTSE 100 companies like uh, Aviva, Legal and General, uh, National Grid, Experian, uh, EE, um, on a, a range of, of senior permanent and, uh, and executive interim roles. Uh, again, with a, a bias towards finance. So uh, yeah, that's me in a in a few sentences. No, that's brilliant. I mean, that's a lot of great experience that um, our audience could certainly learn, learn from. And um, I mean, just just average is what's um, what's exciting you at the moment. How's the role at uh, AstraZeneca, and how's it different? Actually, it's quite interesting to get your your uh, opinion on the difference between that in terms of industry, but also being internal versus external. Yeah, and it's um, it, it's a good good question, a good point actually. So. Um, there, there is there is quite a difference between uh, working as an, an internal headhunter versus an external headhunter, uh, and I think I've kind of been through uh, the full spectrum really. So working in a headhunting agency, uh, then working with uh, an organisation that effectively sits in house as a supplier for recruitment, uh, and now working um, you know fully for uh, one organisation. So I think the the difference is. Um, less about uh, how you engage with candidates initially um, and it's more about the ability to take a long-term view uh, and also frankly the ability to uh, understand an organization in uh, a significant amount of depth. Um, So AstraZeneca is a uh, you know, a very large and very complex organisation. Um, uh, shameless plug, it's an incredibly exciting time for us at the moment. We had our results day uh, on, the, on, the, on Thursday of last week. Um, so, uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so, you know, up up 9% um, on, uh, on, on Q4 revenue. Um, it's, uh, yeah, it's a very exciting time for us. Uh, uh, but uh, being being inside an organization like AstraZeneca uh, is, is frankly fascinating um, compared to uh, working with a range of different clients as you would do in a, in a headhunting agency. Um, and the focus for my role now uh, is actually less about um, purely running searches for, for live roles uh, and more about building uh, a pipeline of, uh, of individuals, of, of, of talent for, for now and for the future uh, against both, you know, key roles for the business, but also key sort of developing and emerging skill sets, uh, which we'll probably talk about a little bit little bit later on. Um, so, yeah, I think the principal difference is um, the amount of time that you can take, uh, the longer term focus uh, and the depth that you get into when you're working in-house versus, uh, versus working with a headhunting agency. Very, very briefly from an AstraZeneca perspective, um, you know, our, our growth story is very exciting. Um, uh, but, but I think in, in general terms, um, uh, with my, you know, recruiter hat on, um, what, what's really exciting me is uh, how much change and transformation there is within, uh, I suppose, the, the definition of finance roles. Um, so it feels as though um, it's kind of a, a unique time where sort of previously quite separate skill sets uh, are starting to collapse in on each other. Um, there's structural changes uh, in the way that finance is, uh, is organised within our organisation, but also 
from my experience of speaking to a lot of people at big global companies within a lot of other big uh, international companies as well. Uh, I think that's a really interesting area to um, to, to explore. Um, but uh, I think fundamentally, um, you know, what's what's always exciting to me is uh, uh, is, is sort of talent in the marketplace. Um, you know, I, I think uh, uh, obviously my focus is is on senior roles, but um, uh, it's, it's always an exciting time to be uh, sort of talking to, to people coming through earlier in their career in finance as well, uh, because I think it's it's a great time to be doing so because of those changes. Uh, you know, I, it, perhaps going back even five or 10 years, uh, sort of development pathways were more linear, um, whereas now I think uh, you can go, go in a lot of different directions um, uh, within that sort of broader uh, finance role family, get a lot of exposure, um, you know, to different technical uh, sort of competencies, different types of uh, environments, you know, commercial, operational, whatever that may be. Uh, and I actually think it's really beneficial for people to do that as well, uh, r- rather than just staying on a, a very linear career path. Yeah, no, that's fascinating. I mean, that, that, that segues quite nicely to the sort of next sort of question I wanted to ask, which was about... From your perspective, uh, what have been, you know, you've mentioned a little bit before, of course, but what have been for you the big changes in terms of um, the things going in finance? And then from there, the sort of skill sets that um, a finance professional needs to, to, to develop, because I think there's a big debate at the moment as to how relevant the very technical accounting side becomes once automation really, really seeps through. So, of course, you still need to know your credits and debits. But more, I suppose, like how uh, how complicated you can be, like say things like reconciliation. Where hopefully, the the um, the computers can do that for you, or maybe you still need to have that because computers can never really eliminate. It would just be good to to know your and where you see the sort of future skill set, where there will be this sort of panacea of data scientists and business partners, or where there's still a place for the sort of person in the middle. Yeah, it's it's a. It's a huge question, isn't it? Um, and yeah. one, one which I'd never presume to have the definitive answer on. But I think there's, <laughs> there's, um, yeah, there, there's going to be some really different, you know, some really, really sort of interesting but difficult um, developments in, in in sort of how role portfolios, uh, you know, sort of move forward uh, over the next few years. So uh, I think the idea that technology is going to be a a panacea for all problems within finance um, and that, um, you know, manual inputs uh, will just disappear and we'll uh, focus uh, on, on wonderful uh, strategic, um, you know, problems and questions is is probably a little bit wider the mark. Um, I think the thing is tech, technology um, is, uh, you know, obviously uh, an, an enabler of um change uh it's an enabler of, of simplification standardization and agility uh, but technology is only as good um as both the individuals using it and, and, and probably more importantly the processes that are put in around it um because uh, uh, it doesn't matter how much technology you've got and how great it is there's still going to be a person using it at one end and a person using it at the other. Um, so, uh, uh, and, and unless the processes are, uh, you know, are correct, um, then um, yeah, uh, and, and, and if everyone's not going off and, and amending the uh, the technology tool or platform for their own ends, um, then uh, yeah, it's, it's never going to work perfectly. But um, I think the 
the, the bigger question around how these changes are going to affect roles are quite interesting. And I suppose we could look at it from a, a couple of, um, of sort of different ends of the spectrum. So I think what, one end of the spectrum is, uh, you know, fi finance business partnering, let's say. Um, so uh, I think uh, have, having worked with a number of sort of you know, global finance leadership roles uh, in markets, let's say, so we could call them CFO roles, country finance director roles, whatever different organizations call them. Um, uh, I think historically that was seen as uh, kind of the apogee for uh, finance business partnering. Um, so it's a role that, um, you know, partners up with um, uh, a sort of general manager or a country president, um, you know, drives out the uh, the, the commercial strategy um, uh, and ultimately, uh, you know, sits on top of a, a big finance administration uh, as an operational leader as well. Um, I think those roles are, uh, are starting to change um, for for a, for a number of reasons. So, uh, I think I think what a, what a lot of organisations have been doing. Um, to a greater or lesser extent uh, over the last well it really varies hugely by industry but let's say over the last sort of 10 to 15 years um is driving uh, a kind of rationalization of, of finance as a function um uh, a lot of the time that is through a combination of uh leveraging technology uh also depending on the size and capability of the organization to do so, um, developing shared services uh, uh, or actually, you know, out and out outsourcing uh, of um, uh, functionality. Um, so I think as, as that continues to, uh, to be the strategy, um, and I think it will, uh, although there's variance on, on that kind of strategy, some organizations have, uh, committed to building, uh, you know, large shared services centres, what you call captive shared services centres that um, uh, that they, uh, I suppose, own and are part of the organisation. Others have outsourced uh, the, the the majority of that kind of activity to, uh, uh, I suppose, a, a technology consulting or an outsource or a BPO uh, provider. Um, and, and I think the the impact of that is initially a lot of activity uh, that would go into that kind of model um is, is you know more back office finance uh, so you know payables receivables order to cash uh, procure to pay that sort of activity um, but i think increasingly companies are looking to drive up the value chain uh, and move more um financial planning uh, analysis activity even accounting and control responsibility into that kind of model um so i think what that means for um a kind of classic finance business partnering role is is a few things so um on the one hand it's an opportunity uh, because certainly for for more senior roles here, which is, I suppose, where I have the more the more insights, um, it, it means that to an extent, um, those kind of roles can be freed up to focus less on um, cyclical uh, financial planning uh, and analysis around reporting cycles, uh, which you could call BAU activity, um, uh, and actually to move up the value chain and provide, I suppose, genuine 
uh, insight uh, and analysis on uh, you know key decisions around resource allocation and investment for example um, uh, so that's 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 a, a big opportunity for those kind of roles um, as, as opposed to being uh, I suppose locked into uh, that kind of cyclical nature of, uh, of reporting cycles um, but but on the other hand um, what it what it can mean as well uh, is that you actually need to have a broader set of experience from a technical standpoint um, to sit in some of the finance leadership roles um, because uh, the actual uh, sort of team structures uh, are, are, are diminishing in as much as they're not going to sit next to you physically, uh, let's say, um, because they're moving more into that kind of shared services environments, which are probably going to be located in, you know, offshore and, and frankly, lower cost locations. Um, so, so something that I've seen within those kind of roles uh, is the, the kind of typical profile is moving uh, from somebody who uh, has really been focused on commercial finance for their entire career um, has probably come through an FP&A background and then moved into commercial finance leadership uh, and business partnering roles. Um, uh, and the new sort of success profile uh, is, is more uh, varied uh, and, and more you know, technically uh, grounded than that. Um, so because you're not going to have a, you know, a financial controller uh, sitting next to you, for example, uh, you need to have a, a strong, uh, you know, background in, in accounting and control to a certain extent, uh, or, or in, in audits uh, is, is another area as well. Um, but, but it also means that for, uh, you know, complex entities where there could be, for example, in my in my company, manufacturing activity um, or, or research and development activity, um, that having had exposure to, um, uh, I suppose, some of the more technical elements of, uh, of finance in those areas is uh, is of equal uh, importance uh, as it is to having you know that really strong credential in in commercial finance business partnering. So. I think that's that's kind of one one side of the story, um, and then I suppose the other side is how um, finance and technology are, uh, uh, I suppose, sort of collapsing into each other. Um, yeah, no, that's great. That's, that's that was actually going to be the sort of next sort of phase of mm. question. So you've you've uh, foreseen it uh, quickly. You're the you're the soothsayer, John. <laughs> Very prescient. So, um, so yeah, I, th I think on that side, it's um, yeah, uh, it, it's kind of ever evolving. So, uh, you know, most again, big organisations have, um, uh, let's say, challenges with uh, with, with finance systems, um, trying to uh, roll out single instances of. Uh, you know, a particular platform, for example, is a, a very common challenge within within big global organisations, organisations who've, who've grown through, you know, M&A activity as well, uh, who've had to consolidate platforms. Um, so that, that's the kind of the, the obvious and uh, I suppose the kind of pain point for, for a lot of companies. <laughs> um, and I think, I think maybe historically, uh, people in finance have uh, maybe avoided those kind of roles, uh, you know, working on a, a finance transformation or working on an SAP implementation. Um, I think that maybe the view was that that 
would not necessarily hurt hurt their sort of career progression, um, but I think they'd fear that they'd be perhaps perceived as um, more of a, a systems or a transformation specialist than a, a finance specialist. But but actually, um, having experience of transformation uh, and especially systems transformation uh, is becoming increasingly important. Uh, and then I, I suppose the final piece of the puzzle is, um, you know, the zeitgeist around digital data and automation. Um, <laughs> if I had a, a, a pound for every um, every time I've, I've heard myself or another recruiter talk about digitization, I wouldn't have to wouldn't have to work as a headhunter anymore. Um, um, <laughs> but, but there's there's you know there's no, there's no smoke without fire. So um, the, the way that you know things like RPA are, are moving in to I suppose all, all elements of the commercial world, but finance in particular, again speaks to the value of having experience in things like systems uh, implementations and, and integrations. Um, uh, but but more than that, I think the way that um, data analytics uh, is increasingly going to be, uh, you know, an, an absolutely integral part of um, uh, of any insight and, uh, and business planning performance kind of role um, is fairly obvious. Um, uh, and then I suppose the, the you know the, the digital piece um, is a bit more abstract um, because it it's it's just a word that is everywhere that's almost impossible to define. <laughs> um, but I think you know increasingly digital strategy. Um, for most organisations, is, is kind of indivisible from um, uh, from commercial strategy. Um, uh, so, so I think uh, you know it's it's, it's quite a, a kind of sexy area of any business to be associated with. So I know a lot of finance people uh, are very keen on, on on sort of partnering up with, uh, with with sort of digital specialist areas of the business, or uh, you know getting any exposure they can. And uh, yeah, I think it's definitely a value. Yeah, that's brilliant. Look, I, I say there's a, there's a lot in there, and there's a lot actually that um, that surprised me. I think the the biggest thing there actually was the idea that that because of the offshoring, for example, actually you might need to be more sort of accounting or technically accounting competent than say you would be would be now in that in those particular roles. But you do have the sort of digital piece and uh, um, other bits pieces. I mean, I I was just going to ask very quickly on that then. You also mentioned that it was important to sort of get experience of the business as well. Mm. And how does a finance professional be able to, um, you know, there's a limited amount of time in their career, you know, theoretically anyway, right? There's a limited amount that they, they can work. There's only so many years or hours in a day or whatever it is. And so um, how, how, do they, how do they focus the career, right? Do they, do they go, right, I'm going to do a controllership and then I'll maybe go into HR or then mm. go from there to another finance. You know, how, w- w- when you look at a CV, how do, how do you assess that? Because I, I think it's a real big challenge. Because how do you not get boxed in? Yeah, it's, um, it's, it, it, it's, a, it's a great question. And it's, it, it, it's quite difficult because you have to do uh, two things that, uh, again seem quite counterintuitive um <laughs> because you have to you have to both you know be mindful and, and 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 kind of plot your career to a certain extent but it's equally important to be opportunistic um and i mean yeah. this from an internal and an external perspective uh, i'm not saying this just to increase my chances of approaching people from organizations it's, uh, <laughs> uh, it, 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 it's something that we work on uh, you know, in, in internally, uh, right. it's with all, all big organisations that I've worked with because um, internal succession planning 
um, and talent development uh, is, you know, really contingent on people being able to be agile. Um, so I, I yeah. think the, the, the one skill set that I'd really uh, advocate developing above all others is, is what I call learning agility. So the ability yeah. to um, think laterally uh, in the first instance about what an opportunity is going to do for you in the longer term. Uh, rather than thinking about a linear pathway to success, because as we've discussed, that's probably non-existent now anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and, and I think the, w- the way to do that is to, obviously, net- networking is a, uh, it's a bit of a hackneyed phrase for it, but it, mm-hmm. it, it is about building a network within the organization you're at, as, as well as externally. Um, so you can actually get a full understanding of, of what a particular opportunity is going to offer you. Um, yeah. So uh, I think it's it's really important to take as broad a view uh, across both the organisation and the market as you can. Uh, then you know think about what you're going to enjoy doing, um, but but do so in uh, uh, I suppose an open-minded sense. Um, you know don't think of it as a, a role uh, as yeah. a series of boxes to be ticked on a job profile. Um, think about how a role is going to suit you in terms of your capability uh, and how you want to develop that capability. Um, so it, it's less, I think when I was talking earlier about, um, you know, that increasing need for, for technical breadth, uh, even in commercial mm-hmm. leadership's role, roles, that's true. Um, but what's of equal importance is to build a kind of capability profile for yourself. Um, that, that means you're you know regarded as somebody who can, uh, I suppose, take on a number of different challenges. Um, right. So it, it's, it's about the ability to, um, you know, operate strategically as well as operationally. Um, it, it's about the ability to, uh, uh, I suppose, conceptualize um, very, very difficult and complex things uh, and then translate them to uh, other stakeholders uh, both above and below you uh, in, in a way that allows everybody to understand what the you know the principal objective underneath all of that complexity is um so you know I, and this this isn't just for commercial leadership roles this is for, for leadership mm-hmm. roles in, in general you know even if it's um the the sort of let's say a group financial controller position that you aspire to it's of, of equal importance to develop that capability so um that you know that that very um cliched words taking a holistic view of things is uh, is, yeah. is quite appropriate here so when you're when you're thinking about your career um do in a sense plot the kind of roles that are going to allow you to build that capability as well as that technical expertise and, and overall experience um, but also remain open-minded and opportunistic um, to what a role can offer you um, because you know roles are uh, very different depending on the type of organization you're in and also where that organization is on its own development sort of cycle um, so yeah, yeah I think yeah be both forward thinking uh, but opportunistic as well that's that's fascinating, you know. Um, and one thing that that really um, that really strikes me actually is that that word opportunity because it can seem quite negative. But I, you know, it is more about actually ensuring that you're, you know, that you develop your career in the way it needs to. Because if you don't, then you might find yourself on the wrong end of a 
of of, of transformation or, or change. And I and I wondered on that actually. I had a very interesting conversation with a previous uh, person I uh, podcast with Ben Wan, and he we he we discussed a little bit about job hopping because he's job hopped a lot, and my CV looks pretty job hoppy as well if i'm being really honest yeah, yeah, yeah. um and i wondered what your 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 thoughts are on that actually where you have someone who's done a number of not just different roles necessarily but has actually got to different companies mm. and gained lots of different experiences can always take a fresh fresh look at things uh, but might seem a bit well you know is this person actually going to stay uh, you know, is it worth investing the time in this person? Do we want to really develop this person, even if they've got the potential for leadership? It'd be interesting from your recruiter's perspective, what you think of, of job hoppers now? Um, I, I think it's, it, it, it is still an issue up to a point. So uh, a, a couple of statistics that, that couldn't kind of come to mind. I mean, the first is that we're um, apparently 1% into the, into the digital age. So I think yeah. what that means is that think about how much has changed in the last 15 years um, <laughs> and, and then think about what's going to, what's going to happen over the next 15 years. Um, yeah. No, nobody, nobody can answer that. Nobody knows what technology and disruption is going to do to, um, to, you know, what, what the kind of role looks like, let's say in, in, in two or three years, even let alone four or five years. Um, so, you know, I think again, being opportunistic is, is not a negative in that context and actually um you know i know finance professionals can be risk averse to a point um because of the nature of, uh, <laughs> of the training and the job that's uh, that, that finance professionals do but there's a risk factor in in in, in you know being risk averse <laughs> because if yeah. you're not going to uh, uh to, to take advantage and, uh, and kind of be slightly ahead of the curve at times then you know that's uh, that's a risk as well um but but i think conversely the other statistic i looked at uh i was at a, an event last year um and one of the uh, lead partners of one of the big big head hunting firms was was presenting at it and I think his statistic was uh, over the last five years, um, 80% of uh, CFO hires uh, within the FTSE 100 were internal. Um, so it's right. uh, kind of indicative. Uh, actually, that may have been CEO hires, actually. Uh, but it's, it's, it's still indicative of um, mm. the fact that you don't want to be seen either as a fidelity risk because you've hopped around that will hurt your immediate chances um in right in in in, in, a, in a in an assessment process um there's no there's, there's no getting around it you know if if you if you haven't had longevity um uh, it's organizations then there are always going to be certain companies that will that will factor that into an assessment and a decision on, a, on an individual role um but but it, it also means that you're perhaps not giving yourself the full opportunity to discover what an organization can offer for you. Um, every individual circumstance is different. Um, uh, and, you know, frankly, good people are always going to have options. Um, yeah. and it's always going to be tempting to take those options and, 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 and move <laughs> on. Uh, and I think, you know, the, the market is different to how it was 10 years ago let alone 20 years ago so nobody uh, expects uh, people to be in an organization for an infinite amount of time uh, and and actually you know the, the counter balance of it is you can be perceived as being slightly institutionalized if you have been in an organization for 20 years um, um, so you know it's about balance 
Um, but I yeah. think the, the key is to understand how you can obtain your development needs within the company that you're working at. Um, and again, that comes back to building that internal network as well as the external network. I'm, uh, I'm really, yeah, I'm doing myself a disservice here by uh, by, t- <laughs> by talking about that, but um, but it's true. Um, you know, I think if if you're in the right sort of organisation, um, you should be able to carve out those development needs. But again, be opportunistic and creative about it. Um, you know, there's going to be chances um, to take on secondments. Uh, there's going to be chances to um, move into areas that are kind of greenfield or new builds or turnarounds. Those are the kind of opportunities that might seem slightly like, uh, uh, you know, a lateral move or a slightly left field area to be going into at the time. Um, but over mm-hmm. the longer term, they're going to help to continue to build that capability, uh, which is what people look for, you know, in those more senior roles. No, that's 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 excellent. I think for me personally, I find that sort of thing exciting. But I know um, a lot of the funnest people I've I work with, and um, you know, you talk about that risk averse sort of personality. I think, mm-hmm. yeah, I think they might be a little bit more cautious towards it because, um, yeah, the the thing is, I know my my interviews, I've always been asked about you know the sort of career and why you've moved from one to the other, and if you don't have a compelling story, it makes it incredibly difficult to. To, you know to even move to the next stage so um, no that's a really really actually interesting answer and, and on that um you you've said that you um deal a lot with um direct and above hire and executive hire in your, in your previous experiences mm-hmm. i mean you know for a budding you know someone who's say at uh senior finance manager level or head of finance and is looking to move up or even beyond say director etc etc um what sort of skill profile or what what i suppose what's the top if i say what's the top three skills do you think they mm-hmm. need to develop and when you've interviewed or when you've been involved in the recruitment process what are the skills that are fundamentally lacking particularly in a you know in a digital age what what do you see as the because I've, I've sort of um asked a very long question there but i suppose what it comes down to is i suppose what are the key skills at that particular level and also from your experience what skills have been lacking and they may they may be the same the same key skills yeah i think it's um it's difficult again because uh, I think there's, you know, there's technical assessment. Um, so you can talk about uh, is it advantageous to, um, you know, have a period of time, you know, do, do, doing something, you know, highly technical. Uh, like, uh, is it is it worth trying to? Um, pivot into uh you know tax and treasury i mean that's quite a difficult uh, one, one yeah. in particular let's say but um uh is it worth taking on uh, uh let's say a, a, a sort of process area uh like um record to reports or order to cash or, or something like that that will, will, will not feel like it's a particularly um uh, sort of sexy part of the business to be involved in um versus you know, staying on the sort of commercial front line uh, in, in a, a, a partnering mm-hmm. role. I think that's that, that's more difficult to answer in terms of let's let's build a, a sort of top three in demand technical skill sets. Uh, and I think it's a bit of a red herring to, to focus on that to a certain extent. Okay. Um, again, I think it's it's more important to think kind of with the end in mind. So if you're talking about these more senior 
finance leadership roles. Yes, increasingly, I think breadth of technical exposure and experience is, uh, is, is relevant. But the reason it's relevant is because uh, you need to have you know, several strings to your bow um, when you're in those more senior leadership positions. Um, so you need to be able to combine um, you know, strategic thinking with operational leadership um you know and those things uh you know re- require kind of different boxes of experience to actually really develop those up to the level that you need to to, to lead within large complex organizations um if you're running a, a market as a as a cfo or a finance director um then you know it's like running a mini company so you need to uh, be able to understand um, M and A. Uh, you, you might be able to, you know, might need to be able to understand, um, you know, cost accounting uh, and, and product costing because there's manufacturing capability within your um, uh, w- within your remit. But you, you don't have to understand that at a base technical level. Um, but what you have to be able to do is uh, be agile enough uh, in, in your thinking. Um, uh, and, and able enough to, you know, digest complexity uh, and then actually get to the nub of, of what the blocker may be um, uh, or, or the issue may be to, to drive greater performance. Um, so, you know, I, th- I think the, the key things to build as you go through your career, uh, yes, the technical experience, but always with a mind to, you know, how is this going to develop? Uh, my, my overall sort of leadership capability, uh, my ability to, um, you know, own and deliver uh, a, a, a business strategy, uh, my ability to lead an operational function, um, uh, and ultimately my ability to, you know, create and deliver value. You know, that that really is the zero-sum game. Um, uh, to, to a certain extent, there's always uh, a kind of truism about linking it back to delivering value to to shareholders um and, and that's something right. that uh, you kind of have to to keep in mind is is increasingly as you move up the food chain so yeah um i i'd never sort of list a top three um for, from a technical perspective um because it does depend what you want to do you know um yeah true <laughs> there's nothing wrong with being a specialist uh, i just want to say that absolutely nothing wrong with it at all um and and you know frankly as, as a as a recruiter uh specialists are an increasingly rare breed and in increasing demand so that's that's uh, always a sort of important thing to bear in mind as well um but even if you're leading a, a particularly technical stream or a technical team um you see what are going to need to have those those sort of capabilities built out as you move up the food chain okay fantastic then and then so I suppose to be fair, that would apply very similar to to people at say my level or above, mm. right? So the sort of analyst, senior finance. It's not necessarily about um, a specific, a very specific skill set. It's it's more about. I think you said you know you talked about sort of an agile mind or or that sort of growth mindset and the, those sorts of things, right? So the ability to adapt and be able to take on different things. And it's deliver. the re- it's the reason why companies uh, yeah. rotate people at graduate level as well. Um, you know, mm. it's it, it's all it's all part of the same, um, the, the 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 same sort of rationale, uh, and ultimately, it should be 
part of a thought process from from kind of day one within the career um yeah so yeah it's a kind of continuous learning mentality um uh, but but it's also the, the kind of indefinable bit to an extent is that ability to be slightly prescient um and, and just mm-hmm. think about okay so i've seen how this is developed in the past and i can see what's going on now so what does that mean for what's next um you know it's it's just as within an organization it's uh, i suppose taking an enterprise mindset mindset um so yeah. yes you've got your part of the business and, and, and your role that you're trying to, to do but you know how does that link to this how does it link to that how does it actually link to the ultimate objective of what my organization is trying to achieve um yeah and then within i suppose the wider context of the market it's thinking okay so you know this has happened to disrupt this industry um what's going to happen next uh, and how can i potentially align myself to that you know how does my skill set um uh, sort of scan against you know future developments uh, whether they're you know driven by sort of technology whether they're driven by consumer behavior whether they're driven by regulation um you know how does my experience potentially set me up um for for that next development in uh, in in the market and how could i potentially position myself for that no i i think um no i think that speaks a lot i think to the, the i think the mind shift and the change in what companies are looking for because even a couple of years ago when i was looking at grad schemes um, there was a bit on the sort of emotional intelligence and the attitude, and but it, a lot of it was also um, the what and your experience and tell me about this and competencies and those sorts of things. So it's really interesting to see that that sort of um, shift. I, I, I wondered all that then as well. Um, this might, you know, might be a silly question given given my question about these sort of top three skills. Um, but it, you know, a CV will show you lots of different stuff, and assuming that CV is true. Um, you know, it's great to have something on a CV on paper, but actually when that person actually goes in the job, they might, it might be completely different to what you perceive. Are there any common themes in terms of, from your perspective, both internally and externally, where you've seen things on a CV, you know, common things on a CV, mm-hmm. where that person has then gone on to do great things or they've done good stuff? So, for example, maybe they've had, I don't know, broad range experiences or they might have all done, I don't know, they might have all done, like, say, a post-qualification course or something. I know the accounts is a bit different because we have the chartered accountancy, but it'd be yep. interesting to get that 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 sort of process of common themes in a CV where then that person has gone on to do an exceptional job. Yeah, I think um, comments on CV would be um, number one, keep it short and keep it yeah. uh, impactful. Um, uh, you know, two, two, two pages, uh, pull out, what is the really relevant information to the roles that you've been doing, but also paint a bit of a picture as to how you kind of develop through. Um, I think at the more senior end, it's it's a little bit different because yes, I mean, CVs are always important, um, mm-hmm. but it is more about the narrative um, and, and the kind of career that somebody's built, kind of going back to what we discussed. Um, I think what you see in, the best CVs uh, are people who uh, really have been able to take advantage uh, of, I suppose, a number of things. So, um, you know, they've been able to take advantage by using their 
technical ability, their network, uh, and I suppose their innate commerciality, entrepreneurialism, what you'd call it, um, to you know drive themselves into roles where they've been given a lot of responsibility and autonomy, um, mm-hmm. or they've been put into positions where uh, it's either a kind of new build uh, or they've been parachuted into to kind of save something and turn something around. So I think those, generally speaking, um, are the kind of things that get me excited when I'm looking at a CV. Um, if it's BAU all the way through, um, it's there's, there's, no, there's nothing wrong with it. Um, but, mm-hmm. you know, it's always a bit more exciting um, when somebody's had... You know, when somebody's been able to get that role where you know it's uh, something that's been crucial to turning a business around uh, it's been crucial to turning a department around uh, it's been launching you know uh, you know a subsidiary or it's been um, or, or, or just that kind of diversity and experience people who have been able to um, take a kind of step out of corporate life for a, a period of time and have gone to a, a startup for you know a few years it's it, it's it's just that kind of point of difference that i like now not not all companies and, and not all headhunters are going to feel the same way um it, it's yeah. my it's my personal preference uh and i think you know my, my organization is a, a big global organization but we are fast-paced uh you know we are entrepreneurial there's there's no doubt about that um so I, I think that's that may be kind of specific to me but um yeah i think that's the kind of the kind of mix that i like to see personally yeah no that's that's interesting and that's a you know great way to to start to wind up the uh i'm sure because yeah ultimately you can you could there's no such thing as a perfect cv per se because every recruiter will interpret it differently. There'll obviously be some that'll always be bad and there'll be some that have a very high chance of getting through, but ultimately mm. it depends on what the recruiter's looking for and what the company is looking for. And some companies might hate that sort of entrepreneurial mindset. They just want someone who grinds it and does it well, whereas they might want someone else might be willing to take that risk on someone who um, is more my, entrepreneurial, my, maybe. My, my, my advice would be cultivate relationships with a select number of recruiters um as, as you go through your career so um general advice would be um you know have a, a couple of, of headhunters and a couple of uh, i suppose more uh, bigger organization uh, recruiters who are you know highly highly sort of competent and, and really strong individuals so uh, I used to work for, I suppose, a relatively niche headhunting organisation in, in insurance and asset management. Um, so I think if you are in a, a kind of in, in an industry where um, it's kind of more, uh, I suppose, smaller pool of individuals, then definitely have have a relationship with one or two of those sorts of organisations. But always have a relationship with, you know, a, a Michael Page or a, or a Hayes, but make it a consultant-led relationship. Um, and then finally. You know, increasingly relationships with people such as myself are, are really important because uh, probably the, the most important part of my role uh, is identifying, you know, those those key talents in, in the market um, six, 12, 24, 36 months in advance of the role becoming available. Um, you know, yeah. for, for recruitment, pipelining is, 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 you know, the way forward for us. 
Um, so speak to recruiters, but don't make it a transactional conversation. Um, don't talk yeah. about just an individual role in the here and now. Really get mm. the recruiter to understand what your mid to long term aspirations are. Uh, because, you know, frankly, a company that cares about that is, is probably the company that you're going to want to, to get into because it's going to do the most for you. No, that's brilliant. And I think, you know, that leads you on to some of my uh, sort of last sort of formal question on, on this, John, is um, how, how do you cultivate those relationships? So I was very fortunate you approached me um, because of I was on the Anders Finance, um, Future Leaders Finance Leaders List, Indeed. which I'm still very grateful for. Um, but that was my sort of opportunity where you, you got to, you, you know, you approached me and said, look, I'd really love to do this podcast you know share my experiences which has been and it's been really wonderful i think i is going to learn a lot um from that but how do you how do you if if i'm doing it from my end let's say how do i do it without seeming so transactional you know literally just going linkedin going hey uh, you know i know you work for a great company i'd love to learn more or you know this is my career path do you have anything i mean how would you what would you see as the approach that you should take to try and get those relationships going yeah i, I think um well i, I think they sound like you know you're you're somebody's very good at um you know building that network i think it comes quite naturally to you so i think that's that's always always a positive thing to do because um i suppose there's a bit of a difference between uh, headhunting and, and, and sort of re- recruitment to an extent so for me i'm i'm very focused on uh i suppose a, a set number of key positions where i want to engage talent for now for the next few years and for a longer term horizon so um I, i'm always always keen to talk to people at all stages of their career if i'm honest uh, and i think reaching out to individuals such as myself in itself is a a kind of a bit of a, a bit of a pre-qualifier uh, because it right, okay. shows that you're <laughs> you know, it shows that you're proactive uh, and it shows that you're thinking about where your long-term future might be um so yeah i, I think Build relationships with uh, a select number of individuals is is key, and, and if, if they should be fairly self-identifying. Um, I think if you look right. on, on on LinkedIn, the, the recruiter's profile, you get a pretty good idea what they're all about. That's <laughs> pretty pretty quickly. <laughs> um, and if if some of them are, um, you know, a, a bit more. Uh, transactional then that, that'll come across pretty pretty quickly um uh, again nothing wrong with that it's just if different parts of the market it's serviced by you know different approaches um so yeah I, I think do build that but by the same token be selective uh don't mm. be don't be out there um you know if, if you're a good individual you'll probably get sought out for the right sort of opportunities um right but it's it's still worthwhile, um, you know, building that kind of network uh, internally, externally within your, in your own industry, uh, and and within your own profession. Uh, and, and the third pillar of that is is building it with a, a select number of, uh, of recruitment professionals. Yeah, so firstly, well, look, uh, John, it's been uh, it's been a real pleasure. Learned learned a lot, and I know our audience will definitely, and our listeners will definitely have um, picked a lot of key things. Um, just before we before we end, um, is there anything that you've not had a chance to discuss that you'd like to? Any sort of, um, yeah, anything that we haven't really we haven't touched upon that you think is important to mention? No, I think um, I think it was a really good wide ranging discussion. Um, you know, the the disclaimer is that uh, 
it's it's it's, it's one, one man's view of, uh, <laughs> of, the, of the market more than anything else. So uh, not, not gonna not gonna claim I'm. Uh, uh, the oracle, uh, as it were, but uh, <laughs> but no, I think it was a really really good discussion, and uh, it's mm. just a really exciting time for um for, for the profession, really. Uh, I'd say it's a great time to be in in, in finance, and uh, yeah, all, all all of your listeners are in a in a great position. That's pretty well. Look, um, John, how how do our listeners um, get in touch with you? Um, uh, I think the, the, the easiest way is to. Uh, is to find me on LinkedIn and uh, just look for, for for Jonathan Evans at AstraZeneca. Definitely put in AstraZeneca because Jonathan Evans is a bit of a common name. So uh, <laughs> yeah, just have a have a have a look for me on LinkedIn. Uh, lots of information about uh, about me and about uh, about AZ there as well. Brilliant. And, and typically, be me. I've I've asked the questions in the, in the wrong order, but um, the the very <laughs> sort of last one is: Do you have any recommended resources or learnings or readings or anything that um, you think people, um, finance or otherwise, even that should definitely have a read about or look into? Um, I mean, what, I, I use, I suppose, a range of uh, uh, sort of tools for. Um, for, for kind of both my my activity to to find individuals, um, but but also uh, to uh, sort of be across the market. So a lot of the publications I look at are sort of industry specific, um, uh, but I, I keep across a, a range of uh, different feeds through LinkedIn. Um, uh, some of the the sort of more macro, uh, you know, publications like Financial Times and Bloomberg. Um, and then, you know, some of the more, I suppose, network, uh, ne- networking events to type of uh, publications like Future of Finance Summit and things like that. So, yeah, I suppose I'm, I'm less focused on, um, <clears throat> uh, you know, finance uh, journals and, and, and technically specific uh, literature. Um, but I think those sources are always interesting to keep an eye on anyway, because, again, it's about making sure you identify what those future trends look like. Um, mm-hmm. uh, they come from, I suppose, the wider world as well as, as just finance itself. Brilliant. Well, look, John, it's been a, an absolute pleasure. Thanks for, you know, firstly reaching out and then secondly agreeing to come on the podcast. Um, we're recording at, at, at the weekend, so you're taking you know time out of um, mm-hmm. not just the, you know, not just <laughs> any day, but the, the, your you know your sort of free time. So, and, and I think there's huge amount certainly i've learned and again i reiterate i think our audience and listeners will learn a huge amount and it's very different to some of the sort of shows we've done um you know having a, a recruiter on who's had a, a variety of experiences um and is willing to share it and being very open and honest about things as well it's been it's been great so an absolute genuine pleasure john and thank you for coming on the show no thanks mr an absolute pleasure and uh, yeah i uh, really enjoyed it well there you have it i hope you enjoyed the show If you would like to find out more about our guest, their bio, or any of the follow-up resources they suggested, for links and much, much more, go on the SITN Show's website, which is sitnshow.com, where you can only get access to these resources, but also access to previous shows, articles, and a whole host of other things. We also really appreciate your feedback, so whether there are things that you think could be improved, whether you think there's any opportunities, or indeed whether you have any suggestions for guest speakers, please get in contact with us either through the website or connect with us through LinkedIn. Drop us a message and we can take it from there. And look, Andrew has a philosophy that a rising tide lifts all boats and that is something that I also subscribe to. And I believe that this show is a real demonstration of this. Let's keep engaging each other. Let's keep driving each other on. And together we can keep building.
building our strength in numbers. So take care, have a good rest of the week, and together let's keep building our strength in the numbers.